Welcome to Sharing the Magic, the podcast that takes you on a journey through the enchanting worlds of Disney. Each week, we're joined by a special guest. Whether they're a magician creating moments of astonishment or a Disney expert sharing the secrets behind the magic of the happiest place on earth. Together, we'll uncover the stories, inspirations, and behind-the-scenes tales that bring these worlds to life. So, get ready to be spellbound and transported to a place where dreams come true. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Sharing the Magic. We are your one-stop, your guest-driven podcast here where we reach out to Disney and Disney guests to hear stories about what goes on behind the magic. And tonight is no different. I am your host, your ghost host, Barry. And our guest is a veteran Disney animator known for his work on various animated films and TV shows. He has been associated with Disney for many years and has contributed to many different projects. And I will tell you the projects after we say hello to our co-host. And we'll start tonight with the Disney dad himself, Matt. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing great, Barry. Really excited for the show tonight. Ready to talk some Disney and a lot of other stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a mixed bag tonight, folks. All right. Next up, we have the real... Lady Divine, Lindsay. Lindsay, how you doing? I'm doing great, Barry. How are you? Doing wonderful. I'm cold, but I'm doing wonderful. And last but not least is the Disney mm-hmm. mama herself, Lisa. Lisa, how you doing? Hello, I'm so good. We um, went to see Disney Wish. We went to see the Wish today. That was so good. My girls loved it. Um, so happy to be here today. Awesome. All right. So getting back to this, um, our guest has contributed to such projects as the Fox and the Hound and Great Mouse Detective. He's also worked on Disney TV series such as DuckTales, one of my favorite shows. His career includes a range of animated roles showcasing his talent and experience within the Disney animation legacy. And our guest tonight is none other than David Block. David, how you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. If you want to run through them, uh, the the feature films I was an animator on were Fox and the Hound, Mickey's Christmas Carol, Black Cauldron, but we won't talk about that, <laughs> Great Mouse Detective, or as the animators and myself like to call it, Basil of Baker Street. That was the title before Jeffrey Katzenberg changed it. Then we got Hercules, Tarzan, Emperor's New Groove, Treasure Planet. As far as the TV stuff that I directed, DuckTales was my first. Then it was Disney's Adventures of the Gummy Bears, New Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, and and a series called Bonkers which has more stories to tell than you have time for. So that kind of, an, oh, I, I also directed Impossible, which always gets an, a smile from most people that got to see it. I was directing on the second season of Impossible. So there you go. All right. You know, just just a couple of things, not many, right? Yeah. David? Just a few things that uh-huh. you didn't just like name my childhood or anything, but it's fine. Just a couple. Uh-huh. And David, just so you know, big Black Cauldron fan here. So really, it has love been it. brought up. Love it. Love the foreign Love it many times on the show. All right. Okay. Love it. All right. Well, David, let's jump right in. Why don't you tell us um, how you got your love for Disney and how it led to your very expansive career? All right. Uh, I will make a long story short as I can. So I was an American history major at a four-year liberal arts university in Ohio. I went to see the movie Fantasia for the first time. So I was a freshman in college. 
let's just say I had a moment uh, that was unlike anything I had ever had before, came out of it and said, that's what I think I want to do for the rest of my life is what was up on that screen. So I changed my major, had that phone conversation with my parents where you suddenly tell them you're changing your major from American history to something called animation, which that university didn't even have a program in. And you get that long pause on the phone. But ultimately, I changed colleges and went to art school for a short time in Chicago. Went there for two years because I had no formal art training before that. So I was, what was I? I was about 19 and uh, taking my first art classes. When was there in Chicago for two years. Moved out to Los Angeles because I knew that was where animation was. At that time, we're talking 1973. You could count the number of colleges that even had animation as a course uh, on one hand. The All the books that were out on animation were the Walter Foster book. There was a book by Allison Batchelor. Uh, the number of books you could count on one hand. So it was, uh, you know, the idea of trying to get that education, which is so easy to do now, was non-existent back then. CalArts wasn't even there yet. So I moved out here and uh, fast forward in 1974, I broke into the animation industry. Uh, my very first job was working for Chuck Jones on a, on a CBS television special called Ricky Ticky Tavi. It was, it was a, that was a big hit. That was a, you know, well, working for Chuck Jones was a big hit. That segued into working for a guy uh, who was a colleague of Chuck's named Abe Levito, who was a director on Phantom Tollbooth and I think Gay Paris. Uh, he was a longtime Warner's person who a lot of people never mentioned, but he was, he was really great. That segued into working for Richard Williams, uh, who many people do know about because he directed the animation on Roger Rabbit. Richard was then directing his first feature called Raggedy Ann and Andy. And I um, I went from being, well, I was with it. I was an assistant uh, with Abe. I was an in-betweener with Chuck. And now I was like a supervising an, uh, assistant animator on uh, Raggedy Ann and Andy. I finished that project and and it was like, well, I now have done a feature. I've worked for Chuck. I've worked for Abe. I've worked for Richard. What's what's the next what's the next rung? Well there was no other rung other than Disney. And um, so I managed to get into that in the specifically in the Eric Larson animation program. And Eric Larson was one of the nine old men. So I started at Disney in April of 1977. Ward Kimball was still there. Willie Reitherman was still there. Eric, of course, was still there. Frank and Ollie were still there. Milt had retired, but I got to meet him. Mark Davis had retired, but I got to meet him. The only two guys I didn't get to meet because they had passed away were John Lounsbury and Les Clark of the nine old men. So that was pretty great. I was really sorry I missed John Lounsbury because I heard just wonderful, wonderful things about him, not only for his talent, but for his his personality. He was just a really good guy. So there you go. So, you know, like I said, you have an expansive career. So what would you say, you know, starting out, what was your, what was your highlight before you made all these features and um, all these different different uh, television series? What, what, what would you consider your highlight to be? It, um, Mickey's Christmas Carol was a huge highlight. It was a picture that really had a very select group of people working on it. You couldn't just walk on that picture. And it, uh, it was directed by a guy named Bernie Mattinson, who just passed away this year. Uh, and he, it was, 
it was our first chance really to get to know Bernie and what a wonderful man he was. And we were doing Mickey, Donald, Scrooge, Goofy, Jiminy Cricket. Just, you know, it was our really our first opportunity to have that. And and they those characters hadn't been animated in a very long time. And then the other bonus, and it was a huge bonus, was if you got onto Mickey's Christmas Carol, you didn't have to work on the Black Cauldron. <laughs> <laughs> And that was huge. That was really huge, Barry. And uh, so people like Glenn Keane, Mark Henn, myself, Mark Henn and I eventually got, we finished Mickey's Christmas Carol and we went on to the Black Cauldron together, even on the same sequence. And, and you're you're a fan, correct, of the Black Cauldron? Absolutely. All right. So so um I did the sequence that introduced the character Fluter. Fluter Flam, the the guy with the with the mm-hmm. heart and the strings break when he doesn't tell the truth. So um I did that opening sequence. Uh you first see him in a jail cell and he's chained up and he's talking to the guard and uh Mark did the back end of that sequence. And then we split up. Uh, he, Mark went off to do a different sequence, and I went off to uh, do the introduction to Henwin the Magical Pig. So I did two intros in that film. And then, and then lo and behold, Mark and I got off of the Black Cauldron early. So we really, we did pretty well for all things considered on the Black Cauldron. We didn't get clobbered with characters that were not so much fun. We got off early. We got on late, and then we got off early, and we both went to uh, Basil, and we got on that early, and that was great. That was really fun. Uh, So to answer your question, Mickey's Christmas Carol, Hercules was a really fun project for me. I, I had a wonderful time on that. And um, it came after I had been away from features for 10 years. I had left features to help create Disney TV animation. I was literally one of the founding members of that creative venture. And uh, so I had been directing for a while. And I, for all intents and purposes, I hadn't animated of at that level in 10 years. Uh, but I, I came back for Hercules and to work with uh, Ron and John on that. And uh, God, I had a wonderful time on that film. I, re- I really had a great time. So those two films are standouts for me as an animator. And then for TV, believe it or not, I had a wonderful time producing and directing Disney's Gummy Bears, which had a six-year run. And it was it was the first TV show that Disney TV ever did. And I was responsible for helping create that show. I, I actually designed a lot of the characters. And to be on the ground floor of a new division was very exciting because I actually went and supervised the studio that was going to produce the show. And uh, what was sent to me before I left to do that was feature animation is everybody's here and Disney's here. And we want you to do, we want you to take that mentality to TV and, and bring that back, bring, bring that kind of a product back. And, and I was able to accomplish that. And I, I remember getting phone calls from colleagues in the business, people, some people I had never met before going, how the hell did you do that? You know, how, how were you able to make the lip sync so, so much better than anybody had seen before in TV? How were you able to do this? How were you able to do that? And um, that was really exciting. That show was close to my heart. I mean, 
I think it was really the first time I'd ever designed characters for anything before, because Fox and Hound uh, and Mickey's Christmas Carol, obviously I didn't design those characters. <laughs> uh, so to do that was was very artistically rewarding. So one of the big things that you brought up, you were talking about, you know, the the television series for, for cartoon, things like that. It's a shame because growing up, you know, every Saturday you had the cartoons on on TV or you had them after school and that's all gone. I mean, unless outside of Cartoon Network or Nickelodeon, you very rarely see cartoons on TV. And um, even even Disney Channel has gone away from a lot of the cartoons. I mean, you can get a lot of the new Mickey shorts and things like that. So when you were doing it during the the heyday of it, I mean, were you? I mean, were you seeing the popularity of the gummy bears and of Ducktales and things like that, where where people were just they wanted more and more because it just seems like nobody nobody does cartoons like they used to. Yeah, um, with the gummy bear, we were stuck with this terrible title, where you know the minute people saw that title, they immediately thought of the candy. And the show had nothing to do with the candy. The reason we were stuck with that title was because Michael Eisner, the president of Walt Disney Studios back then, his kids loved gummy bears. And, uh, and so he gave us this edict, come up with a show called Disney's Adventures of the Gummy Bears. And we went, oh, no, you know, it's like that's a death sentence. But in spite of that, we did. We came up with actually a show that I, when I originally read the outline, I went, this is, this reads like a what not to do on Saturday morning. This is just way too complex. You got so many characters and it's taking place in medieval times and you got castles and horses and are you out of your minds? And my boss said, this is the one you're going to be doing. And I just thought, oh, my God, this is a death sentence. But we did it. Um, and the thing was that for Disney, it was it was definitely treading on new ground. It was, you know, first TV series, Saturday morning. It was back in the day when there was NBC, ABC, and CBS. That's it. That's all there was. And uh, so originally... We were on NBC. Gummy Bears was on NBC. And they had this huge boy campaign, you know, merchandising campaign. And um, that was new ground. We had signed with Fisher Price. And they had some really clever stuff. But the first thing they wanted to roll out were the stuffed animals. And so they did. At the very same time, that another toy company rolled out the Cabbage Patch dolls. And we got killed. Uh, we got killed so bad that Fisher Price, uh, and this was their first time affiliating themselves with Disney and with a show, cartoon show and all that. They freaked out. They just completely panicked and said, we've got this all wrong. Our whole campaign is flawed, and they pulled everything off the shelves. And once you do that, you don't get a second chance. So Disney was not happy about that, that the whole campaign kind of fell apart. And for the next six years or next five years, there really wasn't much merchandise out there on the gummy bears. It was, it was basically little stuff that kind of fell through the cracks that was still out there. But they had this hugely successful show and no merchandise. That was not uh, a good situation, but it was what it was. And the show kept running. And I'm happy to say the show is still running. It's in Europe. And I mean, we're talking 40 years ago. Almost 40 years ago, like 36, and that show is still running, which is just like, wow, that's so cool. So that's the, I, I don't know if I got off the track or not, but that's that's the deal with gummy bears. Well, 
you're mentioning a you know a, a TV show that is popular and still running, and you worked on another one that is maybe to some people more popular, still running, has reboots, the Ducktales. Oh, Ducktales! Right. So that, that was, was enormous. That right. was so enormous that um, that year that it it premiered. Disney TV animation became the highest grossing division in all of Disney. I mean, we were beaten. Uh, the money that that brought in uh, was more than the parks. And it was because it was pre-sold. It was our first syndicated show, which it, it was pre, it was, they, they said God knows how many people, salespeople out there throughout the country and they were buying it for their local channel. So it wasn't on NBC, ABC, CBS. It was on, you know, in our, in our, um, in here in LA, it would have been channel five or something, something more local that, uh, and it was, and so they literally did that in every city and at every podunk town throughout America. And so before even the first show was finished, they had already pre-sold the entire series of 65 half hours in America. And that represented a huge amount of money. And then the show was really good. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was my first directing. And it was really a great lesson. I uh, DuckTales was, and I think still is, the hardest thing I ever directed in my life. Oh. It was, again, it was so freaking ambitious because the Ducks were in a different location every episode. And it's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, you know how hard that is to produce? You know, you got to keep, you got to generate all these new layouts for every single episode. And the layout, you can't start boarding until the layouts are done. And if uh, we weren't adding too many extra characters, but there were a lot of incidentals. They were crowd scenes where animals are walking through the scene and stuff. And oh my God, it was stressful, but it was a great training ground for me. I mean, I had to say that uh, surviving DuckTales, everything else seemed a little bit easier after that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, all the hard work paid off because it is a great show. It did. I love, it, it was I a great it show. Me. Yeah. And um, and it holds up because I watch it with my six-year-old son now, and he still loves DuckTales. So, yeah, do you guys show. know who June Foray is? Does that name ring any bells? Oh, boy. All right. Well, she's passed away now. But June Foray is the first lady of voice acting. Uh, she was the voice of Rocky the Flying Squirrel, Natasha in Rocky and Bullwinkle, and countless others. I, I, I could go on and on and on. But she was one of the first famous people I ever met in the animation business. And uh, she was a voice in DuckTales, and she was a voice in Gummy Bears. And the opportunity to direct her was just like, I must be dreaming. This is too good. It sounds like you have had a lot of amazing interactions. Like I'm just sitting over here smiling. I That's all I can do. I think of, um, I, I, I do remember the year that, um, Cabbage Patch Kids came out and I thought, you know, I don't remember. I remember watching Gummy Bears, but I do not remember, um, any merch. And so now that explains where there's why there's that hole. So <laughs> I'm just sitting here taking everything in. Um, have there been any instances where you have had an interaction with one of those um, famous people, um, like you just mentioned, that has really impacted your entire career? Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. I was a product of mentorships. I never graduated college. I went to college for all for all intents and purposes a very limited amount of time. And I I learned early, don't ask me how I knew this, but no one was ever going to ask me if I had a college degree in animation. 
That was a very liberating epiphany. And so I had mentors in my life. The first one was a guy named, named Benny Washam. Benny Washam was one of Chuck Jones's top animators. You see his name in the credits for all the Roadrunners. Chuck Dodgers in the 24th and a half century. You know, he's just there. And I got to meet him, know him, uh, become uh, a protege of his. He was my first real true mentor in the animation business. Because of him, I met Chuck Jones. Actually, no, that's not quite true. But Benny was just an incredibly fun person. And he made animation fun. Uh, whereas Art Babbitt, who I also knew, took all the joy out of animating. Art Babbitt is a very, very famous person in our business, historical. And I worked with him, got to know him, have stories about him, which we probably don't have time for, but I knew Art. Um, Art Babbitt, uh, just to fill you in, he animated the, the Wicked Queen in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. He animated Geppetto in Pinocchio. He animated the Mushroom Dance in Fantasia. He's legendary. I also met and, and knew Grim Natwick, which is insane. Uh, Grim Natwick animated Snow White in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So Benny, then Eric Larson was a huge mentor for me, just enormous. Uh, to get to know Ward Kimball was unbelievable because I think Ward Kimball is probably my favorite animator. And and to meet him is, it's like I was kind of awestruck. Not kind of, I was. Uh, to know any of the nine old men was wonderful, just wonderful. But uh, I had a job interview with Tex Avery. That, that kind of puts me in rarefied air. Uh, none of my colleagues ever met Tex Avery. And uh, to have a job interview with him was surreal. Just for your audience, Tex Avery invented Bugs Bunny. Uh, so that's that's really surreal. What was uh, that interview like, David? Okay. I was trying to break into the industry. It was summer of 73. And it was uh, summer of 73 was one of the worst years in animation history up till then. And uh, so I was not succeeding very well at finding that first job. So, and I went to a studio called Cascade Films which was a commercial house in, in the heart of Hollywood and um, old building. And uh, I brought my portfolio in there and there's a, an oldish man sitting behind a desk who was like the office manager. And I mean, I was like 22, 23, somewhere in like 22. And he, he was probably only in his late fifties but he, he could have, he might as well have been a hundred, you know, when you're 22 and you're sitting across this, the table from a 50 year old, they look like, you know, they've got white hair. They look like me, you know? And, and uh, so he went, Oh, this looks pretty good. Let's go show it to Tex. And I'm going, what? And I'm going, no, 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 no. He couldn't still be alive. So we walked down this hallway of you know it was a studio so there's like you know a lot of studios look the same way they long hallways kind of darkish doors on either <laughs> side or at least doors on one side you know because they lead into where they're working so we we walk down several doorways and door opens there he is <laughs> and it's like oh my god it's tex avery <laughs> and uh he was so kind they didn't have anything and uh, just to meet him. And then I got to see him again when I did get the job for Chuck Jones. And later, not, not long after I started working there, the second annual Annie Awards came up. Do you guys know what the Annie's is? 
mm-hmm. ASIFA and all that. ASIFA is an international animation society that's been in existence a very long time. Uh, well, like 71. And at that time, the president happened to be June Foray. Uh, so um, uh, they honor each year, they honored really legendary people. And so uh, the year they honored Tex Avery, it was the second year of the Annie Awards. And I got to sit at Chuck Jones's table with Chuck Jones's animators and get to see Tex Avery accept his award. It's like died and gone to heaven. It was just one of the great nights of my life. And Tex Avery got up there and started telling stories about the days of Termite Terrace, which are some of the funniest things you have. I mean, it's like they did crazy, crazy things. They did things as crazy as their cartoons were. And Ben Washam used to tell me those stories because Ben literally was there for that. But Tex started telling stories. And Tex can, well, both men could really tell a funny story. And to watch these legends sitting at Chuck's table, the animators, they had tears rolling out of their eyes. To watch them crack up was just like, this is so cool. So that was special. That was really special. I hope I'm answering these questions correctly. Oh, you are. Yeah, you're, you're, you're doing wonderful. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm a huge uh, Looney Tunes fan, so anytime I hear stories about anything Chuck Jones, especially, you know, also, you know, Tom and Jerry. But so, so David, let me ask you, uh, getting back to uh, the movies that you've worked on. Uh, so tell, you know, Hercules is another another big, uh, big fan of Hercules. I think that's, um, uh-huh. I, I, I sometimes feel it, it falls in the underrated category for some reason. And um, it makes me sad because there's a lot of good movies um, that, you know, from the Oliver and company all the way up until just before the little mermaid that uh, kind kind of gets swept under the rug because the pomp and circumstance of the movies nowadays wasn't there at that time. It was just, Oh, it's another Disney movie. Uh, it's the black cauldron. Ah, it's, you know, home on the range or whatever. And it, and it, and it puts it, you know, very dimly within the, the scope of Disney movies. And so working on Hercules, what was it like working on there? You know, especially hearing like Danny DeVito on there and, uh, uh, James Wood doing, doing the, um, the voices on that. We thought we had a really big head on our hands because it was being directed by Ron Clements and and John Musker, who had done Little Mermaid and Aladdin. So, I mean, how good is that? And so it was, you know, Disney by then had had a real run with the exception of the film that came out right before Hercules was Hunchback of Notre Dame, which was not a blockbuster at all. But before that, it had, well, and before that, it was Pocahontas, which did really well, but it did really well because it followed Lion King. Mm-hmm. And of course, Lion King was in a in a universe all of its own. But it did it did benefit from the fact that it followed Lion King. So... Pocahontas was kind of a serious movie. Didn't have a lot of comedy in it. You know, real subject matter. And Hunchback of Notre Dame certainly had some fun in it. But it was, I don't know how to put it. It just wasn't, it didn't turn the audience on so much. So Ron and John do comedy really well. And we had Gerald Scarf, the great illustrator. Gerald Scarf was the art director and character designer on it, which was a really cool choice. He's a British illustrator. You can Google him. And it was just, um, we thought we had something really special. Uh, I still think we had something really special. But the, the comedy, the audience, it was, there was a certain irreverence in it, uh, 
the I think I've read. Uh, I'm not going to get into read. That's neither here nor there. But you're right. It wasn't a blockbuster. But I can't. I can't uh, comment on whether a film, you know, was a Lion King or not. I just had a phenomenal time on it. I animated on Pegasus. The supervising animator that I worked with on Pegasus was a joy and a half. Uh, we just had great chemistry. And even before I got onto Pegasus, I I got onto Hercules coming back from TV, and I got on it early. The whole studio was still on um, Hunchback. And so the only people that were on Hercules were the leads who were working, fleshing out their character for the first time. So Ron and John threw me on this sequence where Hercules and Phil and Pegasus, they go to the city of Thebes, which is like farm boy in a big city, kind of the thematical thing. And I got to design some of the characters in that sequence. So I got to work back and forth with Gerald Scarf. And it was just kind of like Ron and John were kind of going, Dave, we got this sequence. You know, Pegasus is not ready for you yet. So go on this sequence and do it and, and work on it. A whole, you know, do this scene, this scene. It's just here. Here's a bunch of scenes. Go do them. And uh, so I got to work with Gerald Scarf on designing those characters. I actually kind of got to put myself in the movie because uh, I designed a character did end up in the movie. So that was re- really unusual. Ooh, ooh, um, David, David, what character? Where it's the character. Um, he he pops up in the middle of Thieves and he says, the end is coming. Can't you feel it? <laughs> I know. Thank you. That's yeah. Awesome. That's so awesome. back in the day, I had more hair, uh, wilder hair. But if you look closely, the 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 um, he was called the Doomsday Guy. Uh, he's got my nose, and he and I was thinner. I mean, it's it's a it's a stretch, but it is me. And uh, so I I did kind of a caricature, an unflattering caricature of myself, and then Gerald drew over that, and that's what we ended up with. But it was a fun scene. I did him and Pegasus in that scene. So I had two characters to do in that scene. But ultimately, it was just really fun to work on that sequence. Uh, it really uh, got my feet wet again, animating, and and gave me a lot of confidence going into Pegasus because there's no question Pegasus was the hardest character to do in that film. Uh, I, got- I love Hercules. Like, the like. I'm a history teacher, so I love the just the Greek mythology and the okay. and the story of history. And Pegasus, I always love when we get to talk to an animator who animates a character that people like attach to, but they don't really have like there's no dialogue, right? It's not a speaking right. character. It's not somebody that you can you connect with on that level. It, it's solely through the animation because I know a lot of times when you have a character, it's that marriage of the voice acting. And the animation, but when you have a non-speaking character to make the audience fall in love with Pegasus, like my son again loves watching Hercules and he loves Pegasus. Ah, great! Hearing that you you know you did that and you had a great time out of that just makes me feel like even more like I love that. Did you do baby Pegasus to adult Pegasus? Like, did you do? I did not. Okay, Uh, and I and I don't uh, and and. Ellen Woodbury was the lead um, on Pegasus, but uh, no, she did not. To the best of my knowledge, she did not do Baby Pegasus. I can't. I don't know who did okay. though. So yeah, she just a wonderful person, wonderful animator, really good at animals, and that's why they gave. She knows horses really, yeah. really well. But it wasn't just a horse; it had wings and it didn't yeah. talk. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So, yeah, a great, great character, great movie. But you're saying how it, it brings you from TV back into features. And then you have like a little run there with some pretty big movies and some great characters because you do Hercules. And then you have you go into Tarzan, which is a, another underrated movie. 
one of the greatest soundtracks in any Disney movie. Oh, I, it, I think Tarzan is a <laughs> I don't know. It if it, I think it's underrated. I think it's so good. It's I, I think unbelievably it's, good. I think it's amazing, and I feel like it doesn't get enough credit because of how good it is. Okay. I, That's, that was a it, very, very good movie. It is. It's an amazing movie, and I will watch that one any day of the week because it's so good. And then you go into another character that I personally love. Cause he's one of he's a he's like that villain that you love that's not really a villain. Oh, he's not a villain. He's not a he's, villain. You did Kronk, right? Yeah, yeah. So what was what was that like? Do, going from something like Pegasus into uh-huh. a, you know an, a human character, but something so comedic like that. A lot easier. It's a lot easier. Uh, <laughs> You know, he he's not four-legged. He doesn't have any wings. Yeah. Um, and he's, the scenes I was getting were so much fun. Oh, my goodness. So, I, you know, I mean, I, I think, I hope all my animation is good. Uh, but I really got some great scenes to do of him. The scenes where he's trying to sneak out of the castle with the bag, with the body bag. That's all me. The scenes where um, he's in the diner cooking. That was really fun because the storyboards were not very complete. And I was using, I got to use a lot of knowledge that I had from, from sitting at the, at the counter in, short order diners and watching those cooks. I got to use a lot of that information that it was sunk in my brain somewhere. And that was fun. Oh, I got to do the scenes where he actually comes over and poisons the emperor. <laughs> I love that quote. The point, po- Oh, the poison for Cusco. Like that's one of my favorite. Yeah. Quotes. I didn't do that scene. I did yeah, not I did. do that scene, but you did the lead up to it. So <laughs> I did. I did. Yeah. So he was fun. I mean, that voice is really funny. Patrick Warburton. Warburton, you can't really, beat that voice. No, you really can't. And, and I mean, he does it over and over and over again. He never really changes it. And you don't care. It's just a, it's just a funny voice. So yeah, Crunk was a Crunk was fun. He was definitely fun. Yeah. So David, let me ask you about Hercules. Um, were, did you get to meet any of the um, any of the actors who who did the voices? The voice talent, you mean? Yes, yes. No, not on Hercules. I did not. Uh, but I did do the sundial guy. Ah, love the sundial guy. Yes. Okay. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I All actually right. I actually have live action footage of me acting that out where he, you know, to has his robe and he. You know, I, I needed to see the how the how the how the drapery worked when you throw open something and it settles. So yeah, I, I still have that that uh recording somewhere. Nice. Yeah. All right. Uh Rachel, you have a question for David? Oh hi. Hi. Um I'm sorry, I've been sick with the flu, so if I start coughing, um I'm just gonna put myself on mute. Um I just jumped in here. Um and I noticed that you're you've been in animation for how many years? Forty three years, or you haven't? Um, my daughter is actually attending Full Sail University in Orlando, cool. uh-huh. and she is interested in three D animation because that's you know that's the upcoming thing now. Um, she will be graduating in March. Um, do you have any suggestions for uh, new newly graduated students? as far as getting your foot in the door with animation and with um, like the big companies like Disney, Pixar, that kind of thing. Get your portfolio out here. Yeah. Uh, she's working on that. Okay. Does she, um, did she, I, I imagine she made a short film. Um, I'm not really sure what she's doing right now. I know she, she graduated. She's she, she she'll graduate in March. Okay. So she's, She's in her last three months. Okay. And you're living, you are where? What, where? I'm in in Pensacola. She's in Orlando right now. Oh, okay. There was something that just happened a week ago, two weeks, a week ago. 
um, called CTN Expo. Have you ever heard of that? I have not. Uh-uh. Well, it's a, it's an exposition convention mm-hmm. conference. Uh, it's been happening once a year here in November in okay. Burbank, California. Uh, this year was the 15th year that it has taken place. And it's one of two conventions that happens out here in Los Angeles. There's another one that just came on the scene called Lightbox Conf- Conference. Okay. And it's an opportunity for people like your daughter uh, to meet a lot of a lot of industry people okay. and, and oftentimes to make a connection with a recruiter. And um, that's that's the purpose of it is is really to educate and help university students make that first connection with someone in the industry. Yeah, I know they're really big into networking and they they really uh they really try and help you get get your get your first job I think at full sale so um that's good. I'll let her know the name of those. Okay. I know she's she's thinking about moving to Canada actually, but um the way they fly, they're flying back and forth from Canada to Orlando is the plan. So okay. they well, make through yeah. uh, California. <laughs> There are some there are some very uh, productive and successful studios in Canada. Really? Uh, oh yeah, uh, Vancouver and Toronto are are yeah. places. They're over. They'll be on Vancouver side. So. Okay. Well, there there are some good studios there, and and several of them are are actually doing shows for Disney. Really? Hmm. Oh yeah. I'll, uh, that's, okay. that's interesting. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Lindsay, you have a question? Uh, yes, I do. So, David, with the 40 year, 43 years of doing animation, I know uh-huh. you do um, fine art as well. Which one do you prefer more? Oh, I think animation. I mean, uh, the the painting has is a new is a new world for me. I didn't do any painting as long as I was in the animation industry. I've only been really painting seriously since I've retired. And and I should mention that I am retired now. And it's a wonderful thing, a wonderful artistic challenge. For the most part, it's incredibly different from animating. But um, to take a, a piece of white paper and draw on it, and do a succession of those kind of drawings and bring something to life. People that look at Disney animation do not look at it as though I have made marks on a paper, piece of paper, and moved it. They they have no concept of that. Those characters come to life in those people's minds. And uh, Frank and Ollie coined the term illusion of life. That's what we do. And uh, that was a wonderful way to make a living. I'm very, very proud of the fact that I was part of Disney. Your artwork is very beautiful, though. Just want to let you know. Oh, the paintings? Oh, thank you. Yes. Thank you very much. That's that's very nice to hear. I, I too, loved going through the your website. Um, yeah seeing the the landscape the the seascapes the different paintings you had yeah it's a whole other discipline um and and very uh very challenging i i you know it's 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 been good it's been good for me thank you and they are for sale so if you ever want one let me know we'll put a link in our show notes for you david there you go all i was gonna say is they're for sale and you know who knows who knows what they'll come after. Um, David, let me ask you, where do you think the future of animation is going to go? You know, I mean, all you have to do is just pull up any Disney movie and you can see the different different styles. So where do you, where do you think it's going to go, uh, you know, in the next uh, 10, 15 years? I'll tell you where I hope it goes. Because, yeah, that's what I'd like to say. I hope that somebody in a 
big office with a suit on decides that the 2D traditional hand-drawn animation needs to come back in this country. They killed 2D because there were a series of unsuccessful films that came along in the late 90s at Disney, uh, but also at DreamWorks. And there was never a thought that it had nothing to do with the fact that it was hand-drawn animation. It had to do with the fact that it was a bad script. Uh, it would have been a bad movie in CG, in stop motion. It would have been a bad movie any way you look at it. So now what you have is you have movies coming out uh, like Luck and Strange World and Buzz Lightyear and on and on and yeah, Ryan and the Dragon, The Last Dragon. And no one is saying, geez, CG just isn't working. No, they just pass it on and go on to the next movie. And, and none of those judgment calls that they made on 2D seem to apply to CG. Uh, I think 2D is so much more beautiful to look at than CG. I just think it's an art form that is so extraordinary. And uh, fortunately, it's not dead in the world. It's kind of dead here in the States, except on, you know, Disney TV. You know, there's still some traditional stuff. But um, the more this goes on, the fewer people that are going to learn it, especially if you go to a place like CTN Expo, uh, and, and even before I was presenting over there, uh, the number of people that you run into, university students, that say, I, got, I, I started my freshman year really wanting to learn traditional, but where am I going to do it? Where am I going to do it? And so they come out, and, you know, they're doing CG because they have to make a living. So fortunately, there are still places that are doing 2D. And, and I hope someone behind that desk with the, with the tie and the coat makes a decision that 2D needs to come back. It's such an extraordinary, unique art form. And um, I always love the fact that 2D was for a very unique talent. You had to be able to draw really well to animate. CG leveled the playing field. You don't need to be able to draw to do CG. It's, it's, it's a skill set, but it's different. And it, and it did make it accessible to a lot more people. So there you go. David, I know we're getting close to our hour. And like we said at the beginning, we're only scratching the surface because there's so many more things that you listed in the beginning and that, you know, these, our discussion is kind of leading us to these questions. But you, you mentioned Kim Possible and you, I know you did stuff for Treasure Planet, which is like a, a, a totally different type of film and Barry's dying in the corner there. You did even the wild about safety Timon and Pumbaa shorts that I remember seeing at Disney World. <laughs> I did a lot of that. Oh, God. Yeah. That was on a freelance basis. But yes, <laughs> sometimes you pick up other things that while you're, while you got your nine to five job and you do, you do free. Yeah, I did a lot of that. I did. Yeah. And I, lo I loved them. I loved watching those. I remember watching some on the bus driving from the airport to the, to the parks. But you also, if you if you're okay with one more question, maybe you said that there's tons of stories about another TV show that you worked on, Bonkers. Yes. Is there? Can you share? We're gonna again. We're gonna have to have you back. I'm gonna keep throwing that in there because there's so many more stories I want. Is there one story that you just have to share with us about Bonkers? Uh, it would take a while. I'm sorry. And and there are some <laughs> stories that to this day I can't talk about right i will put it in a plug there is a book that i've been 
really looking forward to seeing a book on the first 10 years of Disney TV animation called The Disney Afternoon. Uh, it's It's been written. Uh, I think it's even been, it's it's ready to go. It's been sitting on the shelf at, at Disney Press. Uh, and it's supposed to come out this time next year. And uh, yeah, they even that person wanted me to tell some some dark, deep, dark stuff about bonkers, but I, I sort of can't. Right. I can tell you other stories about bonkers. It was yeah, uh, nothing, nothing deep. It was a dark, unique, just... it was a unique series because of some really unusual things that happened on it. That it, it actually changed course mid-season. Okay. Uh, and uh, but I, I'm sorry, we don't have time. It's a, was it? I I just have a quick question about it because uh-huh. when I look at the character Bonkers and I look at the animation, I always get reminded of Roger Rabbit. Right. Like I feel so is is there inspiration from Roger Rabbit in Bonkers? Absolutely. Okay. hundred percent. I really wanted to know because I yeah. feel like hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. We're that was to, quite that was intentional. Okay. Uh all right, I can tell you I this will this won't take long. It the, it was conceived by the then president of Disney TV animation. He said, I want to do a television show, cartoon show, uh, just like Roger Rabbit. Only the the live action people won't be live action. They'll be drawn. And we went, huh? (laughs) It's like the only reason Roger Rabbit works is you have that separation. You have the world of reality and then you have the cartoons. If the if the reality people are cartoons, you don't have that separation. He didn't care. Uh, so it was an ill-conceived concept, and we had to try to make it work. And I don't think it really ever did work. <laughs> and it really became it, it it got even more complicated when it became two different shows within the same season. And uh it, it, there you go. It you're, seems you're, like the it seems like the name Bonkers is is an accurate name. Very apropos. Going on. That's right. Very <laughs> apropos. Right. Yeah. All right. That's that's really what I wanted to know because it it does. I just remember I remember watching it as a kid and I was like, this looks like Roger Rabbit. And okay, that's good to know that that was the intention behind. There was it. some really good animation in that done by um, our uh, the Australian studio Disney Australia. They they had some real talent down there, and they did some wonderful work. Yeah, a lot of good stuff coming out of there. I, I know you didn't work on it, but I, and you you like two D animation. I have little kids; they call me the Disney Dad for a reason. Uh, Bluey is a, a show that is constantly on in our house. Okay. Um, to, I I don't know if you're familiar with with the show. I know of it. I've never okay. watched an episode, but I know right. it's really popular. It is a. It is yes. I I won't go into it, but it, like I find myself sitting there watching it after my kids have left the room because it's like oh that's what parenting is actually like, but that's from Australia or New Zealand or something like that, and it's still that two D animation. I feel like a lot of the younger kid stuff is still holding on to that two D animation. Like the younger cartoons on on TV are still trying some of that. So hopefully, like your, your your wish, your hope is that we go back to that 2D. Hopefully we do see that that research. Yeah, it would be nice. It's it's such a beautiful art form, and I I would like to see more of it again. Did you happen to see the movie Wish? Lisa mentioned that earlier today. It seems like it's that mixture of 2D in the background and 3D as the character. I have seen it. You think I will with For another day. Judgment, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you liked it, Lisa. Well, I have I had two of my three teenage daughters with me, and they um, both identify very well with the main character. Um, so they they were enjoying every minute of it. Well, that's great. I'm glad. I'm still 100 percent on uh, the, the old old movies, Black Cauldron, definitely. David, I, I will go to bat for you every time for that movie. I think they're, you know, it's it's a hundred times better than than Mars Needs Moms, and I don't know why they made that movie, and I'll never understand that. But Oliver and Company, all, all those, all those, you know, that that era just just has something, 
You know, I, I think I know what it is. I, I root for the underdog. And I think underdog movies need more appreciation appreciation than they actually get. You know, and, and I and I think it's a disservice that you just throw it on a place like Disney Plus and say, here. I think probably nine out of ten kids probably have never even heard of these movies. You know, if you're not if you're not promoting um a Disney princess, you know, Snow White, Cinderella, and all that, or you're not a Pixar version of Toy Story or Incredibles or Up or things like that. If you're somewhere in the middle, I think you get lost. And I think that that's kind of um, it's it's kind of it's kind of sad. And I, I, I personally and I know everyone here want to thank you for your hard work on those movies, because there are people out there that love those movies. Well, thank you. Thank you. And it was really nice to meet all of you. Really was. As well, David. Thank you. Yeah. See. All right, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up and then we'll be good to go for another great episode. We want to thank you all for tuning into another episode of Sharing the Magic. As always, please hit that like button to stay up to date on all the latest episodes and please tell all your friends to tune in wherever they listen to awesome podcasts like this one. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Sharing the Magic Pod. And always, until next time, keep sharing the magic. have often dreamed of a far-off place where a great warm welcome will be waiting for me where the crowds will cheer when they see my face and the voice keeps saying this is where I